Anyway, thanks for joining us right now. I'm delighted to have David Tacey on the line. Uh, he's uh, Dr. David Tacey is an associate professor and reader in arts at La Trobe University, where he teaches literature, spirituality, and Jungian psychology. He's the author of five books, and every time he writes a new one, we get him on the line. I've got him now. Are you there, David? I am now, yes. <laughs> Good to have you with us. Thank you. Now, this one takes a slightly different turn, this book, uh, The Spirituality Revolution, The Emergence of Contemporary Spirituality. Of course, it, it's similar, but uh, you seem to have gone in new directions looking for sources. Well, I'm particularly, with this book, interested in trying to build bridges between mm-hmm. what you might call popular spirituality, which... Yes. Every second person these days claims to be spiritual, and religion. So I'm I'm building bridges mm-hmm. between popular ideas of spirituality and and what religion is, and why those bridges um, need to be built, and why they're not being built. Yeah. Yes. Well, I I must confess I uh, caught on to the fact that uh, you'd written a new book because I I read in a. Uh, the piece by James Murray in the Weekend Australian, mm. where he quotes your piece of Lenny Bruce saying, every day the people are staying away from the church and going back to God. Mm. It's, a, it's a quite a fascinating bit of insight there, isn't it? Yeah, we live in a, a time full of separations and divisions, and uh, you know, I think uh, only a generation or two ago we used to see the churches as representing God, but now there's a feeling in the wider community that uh, um, you can have God on the one hand and the institutions of faith on the other. Um, And out of that, it's tragic, but also, as you say, Lenny Bruce and other comedians actually make kind of humour out of the irony of people turning away from the churches and going back to God. But it's uh, part of the theme of our time, I think, splitting. Mm. Mm. I notice another quote, uh, Richard Neville, uh, with the question, will the intimations of catastrophe inspire a psycho-spiritual renewal, a global blitz spirit? I thought that was quite fascinating, given the clouds of war that are gathering and and the popular street marches and things that are taking place all over the globe. Yes, there's a um, sense at the moment, I think, worldwide that... um, you know, religion is the cause of strife rather than the cause of peace. Uh, this is, of course, because of the fanatical mm-hmm. associations with uh, various forms of fundamentalism. And that, I think, has served to sour a lot of people's um, feelings toward uh, organised religion, as mm-hmm. if somehow or other it's going to... One of my students said, you know, religion breeds disunity, whereas spirituality creates unity. I don't agree with that, but that's mm. a popular idea that mm. a lot of people have at the moment. Well, the sad thing about it is um, the moderates mm. aren't yeah. sharp enough yeah. uh, to get a Guernsey. It's the yeah. fanatics who are out there with yeah. their simple cliches and mm. black and white statements mm. Mm. Uh, who get the press, don't they? They do. It's the sensational or the vulgar or the extreme position that gets a lot of press. and. It is unfortunate, both for Islam and for Christianity. I mean, as I was saying recently, the um, the Al Qaeda network no more represents Islam than uh, the Ku Klux Klan could represent Christianity. Mm. You know, these extreme groups are the ones that capture the media, and this serves to erode public confidence in 
organised religion. Um, plus, of course, in the Catholic and Anglican traditions, we've had all the scandals with mm. um, sexuality and pedophilia, and this also weakens, uh, I mm. think, public trust in our institutions of faith. It's not a terrific thing, Mal, I think, to have all this distrust of mm. institutions because of the fact that personal spirituality can be very isolating. Mm. And, you know, a lot of my students um, say they're on a spiritual path, but, you see, if there's no community attached to it, um, their spirituality, rather than lead them to connectedness, mm. which is a, lot of, a lot of people say spirituality is about connectedness, it can actually breed disconnection and alienation. Well, it can become another form of subjective experience. Yeah. It doesn't tune you in, uh, as I understand the notion of metanoia, or yeah. getting the inner change of heart and mind. Yeah. You, you get broken away from your old self-concept and limitations to your vision of reality, yeah. and you see the world in a broader, more aware sense. Yes. Well, that's right. That's the true meaning of spiritual rebirth. Um, mm. metanoia which could be translated as change your life or mm. literally probably metanoia from noose change your mind mm. change your heart repent is another word too repente means mm. to think again and all these terms are very important with regard to spiritual experience and I think a, a lot of people today feel closer to trees and animals than they do to people mm. um, there's a great deal of eco spiritual feeling in the Australian community, especially in our youth, but not a lot of uh, spiritual feeling that actually connects people together, and that is an enormous pity. Yes, as I recall it, uh, in the old book it says, if we are walking in the light, mm. then we're having fellowship one with another, mm. and the real test of our illumination yeah. is our openness to our brother, you know, yeah. we can say we're open to God, but how do we know we're not deluded? Yes. Yes, this is, this is it. Um, and I think um, that's why it is important to uh, have a spiritual adventure, as you were saying earlier about uh, the woman you mentioned, uh, with fellowship with others, because mm. it's too easy to say, I'm on a spiritual journey, but really not have checks and balances so that, you know, you don't, we, we don't have today a great discernment of, 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 of spirits, as mm. Augustine called it discernment is required to make sure that it really is a spiritual journey and not an ego trip. Um, you know, these things are, can look a bit alike. Or a psychological pathology. Or indeed, <laughs> yes, Freud said that uh, spirituality and religion can be, not always, but can be expressions of psychopathology or uh, some sort of imbalanced uh, personal orientation. Mm. And that's why fellowship and community is very important to to have the checks and balances. Yes, uh, that's why it's a bit of fun, yeah. us talking together from time to time. Don't you think, just to uh, <laughs> be on the frontiers and yeah. from different orientations and yeah. check out how's it going and ha what words do you, you use as yeah. you try to yeah. articulate... Isn't the growing edge in biology, that's where all the chromosomes are parting, that's where the red gum tips are. <laughs> and I think there yeah. is life, there, there is an exciting thing bubbling, but how do we separate yeah. the worthless from the precious in yeah. it is the challenge, isn't that there's right? A, there's a theologian uh, in America who, with a name, sounds like mine, his name's David Tracy, and mm -hmm. he said recently in one of his books that truth emerges in conversation. And mm. I think, I really believe that. I think good conversation 
um, where both people are prepared to risk the truth, because mm. truth is a risk, mm. um, can be very instructive for both parties and for whoever, mm. whoever else is listening. Yes, there is something about uh, having the courage to say the new, not just repeat the cliché. Yeah, that's fundamentalism, isn't it? It goes back yes. to the old, yes. uh, you know, it's like a mouthful of celery all chewed up and only the strings are left, yes. but at least you know the strings. You yes. know. Well, I think that it's really important today to, to think about the difference between fundamentalism and spirituality. You know, they sometimes are lumped together, but I think spirituality is about intimacy with God, having mm. a personal encounter through prayer, through reflection, mm. through liturgy, through fellowship and community. Fundamentalism is not intimacy, but distance from mm. it. Mm. You're not actually close enough to have the intimacy. It's, it's a more distant, detached thing, mm. and, it, and of course becomes fanatical. Mm. Uh, uh, rules become stiff and rigid, and then uh, we don't sort of learn to tolerate other positions and other points of view. Mm. Spirituality, I think, is about uh, you know, tolerance and accepting that another person's spiritual journey might be slightly different than your own. Mm. Well, I don't know about you, and I don't know if you've taken this journey, but I'm rediscovering at another level uh, the Trinitarian view, which means there are separate and unique individuals but one nature called God yes. and I think uh, it's only as the man understands the difference in the woman mm. that his own masculinity is enhanced but mm. together their humanity if that makes sense yes indeed and vice versa it's yeah. only as the uh, woman is safe with the man yeah. and can open in trust to him mm. that her femininity arises yes that's right and then out of the unique differences mm. uh, then comes this wholeness mm. Uh, where body, soul and spirit merge and the next member of the human oh. trinity, little Fred, is conceived and born and, and he will not be a whole person unless there is that respect for his individuality, his uniqueness. He's not just a smudge copy of dad or mum or uncle Fred. Uh, he is himself to some extent. Well, I think that's right. I think there's a great uh, difference between unity and uniformity mm. you know we as you're suggesting we experience our human unity and our fellowship through difference and through the appreciation and respect for difference mm. but i think in a lot of people's minds uh when they think of unity they think of uniformity or sameness mm. and that's not the true unity which um, i think is celebrated um you know in scripture and also in biological you know biodiversity where all the creatures are different and yet also part of the same kind of uh, life principle mm. and i think that is very important to to realize that that being together does not mean having to be the same yeah. no. well of course fundamentalism it doesn't permit the difference no that's that's uh, that's right and that the court and i think for the neurotic part of us oh. it's usually, in my view, because trust has been violated, boundaries have been invaded way back somewhere in the past, it's now subconscious or unconscious, yes. they have to move to control. Yes, that's right. And so it's not really about truth, the pursuit yes. of truth, but it's yes. about control. Yes, now here's another important difference between spirituality and fundamentalism. I think spirituality fundamentally <laughs> uses, uh, sees the world as a mystery mm. and that no matter how much 
learning we do or how much scripture we we imbibe and how much truth we try to take on board that that the nature of god essentially remains mysterious to us and even as we become familiar with god that it that god is still a mystery Mm. whereas the fundamentalist position is that god is is completely knowable and and then becomes very familiar and that's when I think we ought to become suspicious because if God becomes terribly familiar, um, one questions whether that is God because mm. God is eternity and infinity, whereas mm. we are finite and mortal. Mm. And anything that we in our finite minds can imagine is not going to be infinite and immortal. Mm. So, you know, that's that's where the the twist comes, I think, mm. to do with... I think there's an interesting fine line, and I think we're still finding the language for it. I, I think there is a sense, uh, when we move to the other side, or whatever you want to call it, that we'll feel, my goodness, this has been familiar. Like, this has kept me company. I know this at one level, but it was beyond what the mind could comprehend. Wasn't yeah. it Bergson who said, the, the forceps of the mind do violence to the things it tries to grasp? Very good. Yeah, and and there is this thing about, mm. as I understand it, that the fundamentalist says, God is who I think he is, yeah. whereas the spiritual person says, God is, and I'm on the journey to open my heart, yeah. to apprehend more. Mm. And I agree with you. I think the essential difference there is that when we do cross over to the other side, I agree with you. I suspect that uh, there will be this great kind of acknowledgement, yes, Yes, this is this is what it's been like all mm. along. But on this side of the divide, mm. this, you know, in in our mortal lives, in our human limitations, I would be very wary of anybody who feels that they can know and encompass the dimensions of mm. something which is essentially infinite. Yes, there was a couple who I admire. There was a husband and wife a philosophy team, mm. uh, Werner and Lottie Peltz. I don't know if you've come across. Oh them. yes. Yes, I know them both. Ah, well, I really admire them. Yes, they they live up here around uh, Hillsville. Yes. Do they really? Mm, mm. Well, I gee, I, I I've just read their material. I yes. didn't even know they were in Australia. Yes, Werner Peltz was a colleague of mine. He was uh, a reader in sociology at La Trobe University mm. for many years, and um, he he retired, gave it away, and that's. That's when I moved to La Trobe Uni, mm. and I met him up at his house, and he said to me, David, uh, he said, you've got to be careful of the universities. He said, they're on about information, whereas we all should be in search of wisdom. Oh, wonderful. And I thought, oh, there's a very good, wise oh. man. Mm. I will listen. I, he's a man I, mm. I wouldn't mind getting his phone number. I, I would like to talk to him. Now, they wrote a book once, yes. Your God is No More. Yes, that's right. And as I understand the na- meaning of the title, not that mm. God ceased to exist, but because yes. we clever human beings thought we had defined him and captured yes. him in an idea, yes. we had removed him, him we re- removed the being from us yes. because we had tried to stick him in the matchbox and yes. wrapped all the words around the outside yes. of the mat- yes. matchbox, but we now live with a delusion, not yes. with this other yes. being who was drawing yes. us to ourselves and drawing us yes. to himself. And this is what I find, too, among a lot of my students, uh, Mal, they come into my spirituality course. Um, quite a few of them, particularly the boys, young men, come in saying they're atheists. Mm. Um, 
And really, when I look closely at what they're saying, they're not really atheists. What it is is they're saying they reject the t- traditional conventional images of God. Mm, mm. Um, but um, And as I can remember a young woman saying to them, well, why are you studying spirituality if you're an atheist? And and I suppose one of them said, "Well, you know, we're still we're still on a search, we're still on a quest." Mm. And I think a lot of atheism is that, uh, like mm. Werner Peltz and Lottie Peltz, your God is no more. In other words, the God we thought existed, that increasingly looked suspiciously like ourselves, mm. <laughs> uh, is no more. So, in academic terms, philosophers are now talking not of the death of God, which mm. was about a hundred years ago under Nietzsche but the death of the death of God, which is mm. a fantastic idea. Mm. The the fact that we've gone beyond the idea of the death of God into a rebirth of what God could be. Mm. And postmodern philosophers are talking about God as radically other than us, and we have to learn to, to appreciate and respect mm. and love something which is both at our own core mm. and yet paradoxically radically other. Yes, that's the thing for us to wrestle with, and I think we're still finding the language we can rest with, mm-hmm. not uh, because I'm certain there are some people listening right now who do have that sense of intimacy with God, yes. and it is authentic. Yes. Uh, but there are others for whom these are <laughs> the buttons and the levers whereby they want to control others. Yes, I suppose um, I, I always become suspicious if. Uh, if God is purely an internal experience, you know, uh, mm. because we live in a very uh, individualistic age where everybody says, oh, whatever you do, whatever turns you on is fine by mm. me, just don't bother me with it. Uh, there's a sense that if God becomes too internal, then you have to wonder whether whether it's God, because mm. if, it's, if it's God, then it's something that enwraps the whole of creation, uh, all human beings, yeah. uh, both you know, past, present, and future, yeah. um, all creation, both uh, human and non-human. So uh, today, there's a great psychological turn to finding the God within, yeah. which normally I um, I applaud. But what you've probably seen in my new book is yeah. I'm becoming more mm. um, critical of that yes. because it seems to me I'm meeting too many young people yes. with very sort of navel-gazing ideas of the spiritual journey, and I'm starting to worry. Seem to be neo-Gnostics to me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, neo-Gnostics, yes, uh, uh, and as such, don't feel the need for community, Mm. um, because the Gnostics were very individualistic, and, you know, they didn't need others, because it was just about, you know, sort of myself and God, Mm. whereas I distrust that. I... Mm think essentially the nature of God is social and um, and communal. Mm. Well, that's why I, uh, you know, we've got to get too abstract here, but for me it's not abstract. I, I don't know if you know this, I live in a little community in Tasmania. Yes, I did hear that, that's y- right. Yeah, and we bring homeless and unemployed young people in, and mm. we have a whole lot of elderly people, mm. and part of the power of the thing that makes it work is respect for uniqueness, mm. and as that becomes a norm... Mm then the place becomes safe. We don't have the stresses of the undercurrents of the authority tensions. And then as people have their own homes to go home to and their boundaries are clear, they can choose to come and go from community. But in that place of safety, they open to each other. And there is a deep and rich and growing experience that means in the long run you become more of you in the safety of community. 
And so I think that's Trinitarian, you see, as let us make man in our image, as the text says. There's something about us. We are not truly ourselves unless we're in relationships and are safe enough to be in intimate connection with others. And doing that involves almost fighting against the sort of atomization process mm. that seems to be quite automatic. You know, looking at TV ads today, they're all about looking after number one and, mm. uh, and, and, and pushing yourself forward, whereas community is about sharing and caring. And uh, these are not values that are being promoted mm. commercially today. We're being told to be bold and, and brave and, and mm. push forward. But, uh, you know, I start, I, I start to despair at that. And I think that um, if we're internalising that in our spirituality, then it's just an internalisation of the consumer society. Well, I noticed in Chapter 8, post-religion, the return to beginnings. Yes. That was an interesting... Uh, just unpack that for us. Yes, well, that's based on a, a, um, uh, some philosophers in Europe. When the Berlin Wall came down in 1991 and uh, you know, state communism was abolished throughout the entire Eastern Bloc and... Uh, as you know, there was a great rush back into religion. Mm -hmm. um, it's as if that state communism was the sort of quasi-religion of the Eastern Bloc. The dissolution of state communism uh, had the impact of, uh, of, of creating a void. Mm. And so there was a, a, a very big sense of, of the need for people to, uh, who could no longer believe in communism mm. to actually uh, uh, believe in God. Um, but um, many people felt that the churches, particularly the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, hadn't actually changed uh, mm. over the hundred years of communism. Mm. And so while there was the desire for God, the longing, mm. the yearning for God, many people in Eastern Europe have actually pulled away. So there was an initial rush toward mm. church, and now there's a feeling that... Uh, hang on, the churches have to get up to date mm. before we can subscribe to them. Mm. So that's why it's called post-religion. There's mm. a sense of religious yearnings have been unleashed, mm. but there's this sort of a slight tension between mm. the human yearning and the uh, reality of institutions which uh, are in need of change and are a bit antiquated. Well, I spent a little time last year in Kiev, mm. uh, lecturing at a university there, uh -huh. and uh, I uh, visited St. Michael's, uh, mm. and it was quite an interesting phenomenon. I mean, there were no pews. Um, it's a cathedral on a mountain. Have you been there? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, it's quite entertaining mm. to me. There's this huge female... Uh, statue, about three times the size of the Statue of Liberty, they tell me, which is Mother Rus, in the middle of Ukraine, built by the Russians. Mm. And uh, what they've done is uh, she's got a shield and this big sword held high to protect the Russians. Mm. But what the Ukraine, Ukrainian people have done, have chopped off the top of the sword, so it's a little dagger now, <laughs> so it's no taller than the cathedral up on the hill. Mm. And they've uh, really refurbished the cathedral, mm. But it's not theological. It seems to me they come and sit. No, they don't. They just stand, light a candle. It's as if the pores of their skin are soaking up something for the spirit. So I think they're still yearning for a story, for a narrative, uh, for a uh, something that their mind can connect with their heart. But I think 
they're yearning, they've had the materialism of communism that's for right. 75 years, that's right. but they want the rest now. Yes, that's right. And I think this is true all over. I mean, there is this yearning, as I, I said before, in young people in Australia, even young people who have not been brought up in a religious mm. family. You know, I meet a lot of students who have been brought up by Marxists, mum and dad, feminist mm. mum and dad, who haven't had any sense of God. And yet, and they're the people I find most, almost poignant, because mm. they've got the yearning, but no language to wrap around it. Yeah. And no, you know, childhood exposure to any faith stories or narratives. Um, I can remember once, last year teaching a poem by W.B. Yeats called The Second Coming and a young girl came up to me at the end and she said excuse me what what was the first coming <laughs> and I thought oh boy you know we really are it's amazing. the first coming was the coming of Jesus Christ and she mm. just blinked at me so you know there's an enormous amount of mm. um, I, I don't want to say ignorance because uh, these people aren't uh, it's, they're not to blame for it No. but it's as if society's experienced amnesia you know it's yeah. forgotten our secular world's forgotten what religion even is about yes it is the language and the poetry of the mm. heart isn't it to take hold yes. of, of the of mm. the eternal of that yes. which transcends yes. uh, our smaller selfishnesses yes I think the language of the spirit is the language of poetry and of music poetry and music get very close to it and liturgy of course poetry and music come together in good mm. liturgy um, and um, and yet people are very shy to read poetry you know mm. we live in a, an age dominated by prose but prose often won't do it for no, you it's no. the poetic level the music is missing <laughs> that's right and and metaphor and symbol you mm. see because these become doorways well i tell you what i i, I almost tonight got my audience to read out their poems i think you'd be surprised how many people are mm. closet poets mm. they're out there try and, and i think it's trying to find the words trying to find the language. The other night, there's a, there are these uh, training groups uh, that I participate in for those who are doing a certain diploma I lecture in. And uh, they virtually wrote a psalm, uh, wrote a piece on a piece of paper, bent it over, and they all added to it and eventually read it out at the end. And, and it was magic. And, I th and they, it was terribly satisfying. It wasn't just... Uh, poetry, they could hear the common heart in the different words. Lovely. And they had that sense of community you talk about, but the release of the spirit. And I think that's the yearning. Yes, th this sense that you say they're closet poets. You see, <clears throat> the uh, I use the term in the book, the spirituality revolution. Mm. And I think there's a revolution now in attitude that even 10, maybe 15 years ago, a lot of particularly educated people, and I, as you know, work in a university, mm. felt almost embarrassed to have spiritual desires or mm. to have spiritual elements to their life. Nowadays, I think that secular taboo mm. against spirituality is beginning to break down, mm. and people are more likely now to be able to admit to their friends and take mm. the risk and say, you know, I'm uh, I think that there might be more to life than just what meets the eye, mm. and um, I'm writing a poem to try to capture it. Mm. And I do, I agree with you. I think a lot of people are um, uh, do have a have a shot at poetry uh, to try and express that mm. something, which is um, you know, which is at life's essence and, and has mm. to be expressed. 
Well, I love the title of your book, maybe not for the reasons you intended, but I think we've been through the sexual revolution, and I think what we were looking for in our sexual activity was connectedness. But all we got was sex and fornication, you know. And so I think, uh, I, I believe what drives most of the yearnings that are sexual is not, I mean, the biochemical things there, but I think yeah. there's this yearning to reconnect. Yes, that's right. And, Mal, uh, reconnect is what religion means, of course. Mm. You know, re, religion comes from uh, the Latin religio, meaning to, to bind back to, to reconnect to. Mm. So a lot of people today make a big thing about the difference between spirituality and religion. Uh, I think, essentially, they really are aspects of the same thing. Good religion is reconnection, and good spirituality is reconnection. I agree with you. I think a lot of us, uh, and, and when I was a young lad, uh, you know, the sexual revolution was big. It was, people were looking for connection, mm. and as you say, didn't find connection, just found sex. Mm. And um, sometimes connection was felt, but uh, often it was actually obliterated. Mm. So, you know, the failed... I think failed sexual revolution um, partly has inspired a new revolution, mm. which is spirituality. Mm. And I think uh, it's more likely to be that many of us will experience a sense of fulfilment there. Mm. Not not that I'm saying uh, you know sex is bad or anything. It's mm. just that we often put uh, the wrong and you know expectations on it. Mm. It's not going to give it us what in fact all of what we want. Well, I think we've lied to a generation. Mm. And we've told them uh, that uh, the meeting of the bodies mm. is really, in fact, the meeting of the spirits. It's yeah, not. that's right. Uh, chapter 14 I find interesting in your new book, Winning Back Our Connections. And you have a yes. little quote from Jung there. Yes. He says, spiritual adjustment is the problem. Yes. Unpack that for us. Yes, spiritual adjustment is the problem. Jung uh, was a psychologist, as you know, mm. worked originally with Freud, he became convinced, and I think quite rightly, that um, that what we were looking for in human relationships wasn't always to be found there. That in fact, that we were our, our desperate desire for intimacy, to know people, and to get deeper into connection with with other people, um, was in fact masking a more primary urge and instinct, which he then referred to as spirituality. He called it the religious attitude. Mm. And so he felt that um, the secular age, you know, which I think we're coming out of, I mm. think we live in a post-secular age now, really believed that, that ordinary human relations and, and ordinary activities uh, would actually uh, uh, give us uh, a sense of fulfillment. But it, it doesn't. And uh, um, it's something more primary, which is mm. of the spirit, mm. That is the the core intimate quest. Then, when that is being developed, then at the same time we can, you know, develop more uh, fulfilling human relationships. It's as if the the cross is very important to me as a symbol. Yes. It's as if the secular world seeks only the horizontal dimension mm. of, of human to human, but we need the vertical connection mm. of the human to the divine. Mm. Uh, and when both those arms of the cross are working together then I think we're living correctly mm. so Jung was saying spiritual adjustment is the problem we can't expect the purely horizontal human or social world mm. to in fact give us the sense of a 
rewarding life. Mm. And uh, for that, he was, uh, you know, um, uh, pretty much outlawed by Freud as, as a lunatic. Mm. And that's what has happened all through the secular age, that religious people, spiritual people, frequently been castigated and, uh, and tabooed as somehow, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, maladjusted mm. or um, uh, not really um, mm. uh, scientific. But Jung kept saying that he felt that the spiritual dimension of the human being was, in fact, um, almost hardwired into us. Mm. And that, that's what caused the split between himself and Freud. Mm. So winning back our connections involves also seeing through the sense that the mobile phone or the internet mm. or the email, all that's about connections, mm. you know. But really... You see, these are the uh, uh, illusions of connectedness. Yes. You know, I opened up my email today. There were 113 emails on there. I only had time to read about eight. Mm. And it's all the time the illusion that instant high technology mm. is giving us, that we're all going to be connected with each mm. other. But I think we're chasing our own tail there. The true connectedness is, in fact, found in the spirit. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, and space for the relationship to develop. So knowing yes. becomes authentic. Yes, that's right. And uh, and so much of our uh, instant communication and IT is not authentic, mm -hmm. you know, and it's all just very cheap and glib. And um, you know, I think many of us are getting sick and tired mm -hmm. of uh, so-called instant communication, mm -hmm. precisely because it's not communicating. Mm -hmm. And we get garbage down the internet and viruses and worms. Spam, and isn't that okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a sort of parody of yeah. communication. And I think that the secular world uh, provides parodies all the time, yeah. yet they're selling it to us as if it's the real thing. Yes, I'm wondering if there'll ever be some platform uh, where... Uh, on TV, ABC TV or something like this. I think there's a whole discussion waiting to be had, so long as it's not too technical in its form, but people have been on the frontiers and beaten the thing to submission, house-trained the language, if you like, so people can see themselves in the words. And I think, my guess, it would be incredibly fascinating. I think, I think in the long run, it would rate really quite well. Uh, I, at one stage, you may recall, I uh, had a show on 3AK in Melbourne. Yes. And as part of that research, I, as part of preparing for that, did some research. And from a secular agency, they found that 65% of females in Melbourne over the age of 12 said their spiritual existence was very important to them. Incredible. 65%. And, yeah, and yet there was no media that I could tell mm. that was responding to no. that. They weren't saying they wanted mm. a religious radio station. No. But they wanted to be touched yes. in the area where mm. the, their quest and their yeah. yearnings are coming from. Well, I, I agree with you. And I look, the ABC and, and some of these uh, you know, groups do try. Um, but on the whole, I think that the secular mindset still mm. governs our media. Yeah. Uh, the mainstream media governed by secularism and we're, we're cajoled by it and, mm. and, and we're led to believe that the spiritual is marginal, eccentric, not mainstream uh, and so on and it really is a bit of a con but uh, something similar, I mean I did a bit of research the BBC in, in, in Britain 
did a, a report on British people and what they believe in and what they don't last year. It was called The Soul of Britain. Mm. And they discovered that although only between 7 and 12% of British people went to churches or places of worship on a regular basis, the numbers of people interested in spiritual things, spiritual matters, was as high as about 72%. Fascinating. And so you had 72% with an interest, and yet only 7 or 10% mm. attending places of worship. Now, that's, that's a huge gap mm. between one statistic and the other. Mm. And it, um, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot more thought needs to be put into how this spiritual mm. yearning can be met uh, through the media, which is perfectly poised to do it. Mm. Um, and um, if such large numbers are, are interested, why, why isn't it being catered for? Mm. Um, well, I've got to tell you, I've been broadcasting for 35 years, oh. and I, I say, look, give me any radio station, give me three years, mm. and I don't care if I'm promoted or not, but an audience will build. Mm. And this is what's been happening on a Sunday night. Mm. We're now on 52 stations around the country, mm. and the, it's building and building because people just yes. enjoy getting together yes. and working things out. Yes, yes, I agree. And, um, you know, that, that creates almost a virtual community, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And uh, people listening in and, and thinking and reflecting on what's said uh, creates a sense of virtual fellowship, virtual mm. community, and mm. I think that's very important in our age. Well, they tell me you're, a, you're off somewhere. Do you mind me asking where you're off to? Where's this? Uh, I heard the rumour you were leaving Australia to go to somewhere. Uh, no, I, I go to the UK and I go to Switzerland a great deal. I, oh, yeah. I teach at the Jung Institute. I'm on the faculty of the Jung Institute in, in Zurich in Switzerland. Oh, isn't that fascinating? And I'm, I do a lot of work in Britain because in the schools in Britain they've now got a new subject up there from year 10 onwards called spirituality and I've been one of the international advisors to that particular new course which is on the core curriculum in all the government schools Wonderful. but no I'm not I'm not you're not getting rid of me that easily <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I heard you there was a trip that you had done or were yeah. going to do and anyway well I'll I'll want to keep in touch with you because I Thank think you. Uh, that's what's happening, and I, for the first time in Ukraine, mm. I can't believe this, but uh, mm. they're going to be giving the kids the Bible, the Old and New yes. Testament, yes. and this old atheistic country, yes. uh, they're going to use that to explore the yes. meaning of ethics and spirituality. Yes, well, that's wonderful. At the very time we think we're too clever for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the problem, you see. Educated people think they're too clever. You know, I read a book the other day called Intellectuals Don't Need God, you know, mm. and uh, this is the great delusion of, of education. You, you actually think yourself is so important and your knowledge is so vast. But compared to God, our, our knowledge is absolutely pitifully small. Mm. So I think that that's what should keep us humble and, and mm. keep us human at the same time. But while I do all this globetrotting, no, I'm deeply Australian and uh, am committed to this country. So I, I don't think I'll be heading off for, uh, mm. to live anywhere. Good mm. stuff. Anyway, I enjoyed this book. It's Lovely. another, I think it's another chapter in the dialogue and the discussion, and I love yeah. the way you're doing it. Thank you very much, Mel. And, and uh, I also love the front show. cover, the two hands grasping at the clear water. Yeah. And I, you know, it's so fluid. I think it's a, a good metaphor. Yeah. It's pretty hard to get a handful of it, <laughs> but, uh, but it's there. 
but it's there and it can quench our thirst yeah. and uh, you know and uh, that's the living water that uh, Jesus promises of the woman of the well he or she who drinks from my water the water I can give will will uh, never thirst again and yeah. uh, the woman says sir give me some of that water yeah. and I think that's that's what we're all after yep. and uh, you know it's 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 there it just has we just have to dig deep often use the metaphor of, of, of underground streams because I grew up in Alice Springs where there was no water on the surface at all but there was plenty flying you know underneath mm. the surface and I think that's a good metaphor yes, for Australian is. community. There's a lot of water, yes. but you've got to dig deep to find it. At first glimpse, it looks like a desert. Take yes. another look. Dig deep and you'll yes. find there's something, ast- something astounding. There, but yeah. it requires digging. Yeah. David, lovely to talk to you, and all the best. Congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you very much. Good, good, good on you. Bye.